Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I want you to turn your Bibles to the uh, book of Daniel. And uh, I'm sorry that I haven't had uh, a chance to provide any notes tonight. That's on the tape. (laughs) I've been so busy. So uh, what we want to uh, do in this uh, semester, or this term actually, this is not a semester, we have eight uh, sessions uh, with the special meetings coming up. And uh, we've entitled the series we've, we're taking together in uh, Apocalyptic Events. And just reading off my own notes by way of introduction, I'm not fully sure what was put in the, in the advertisement. I've got here the Book of Daniel, an Old Testament prophet, and the Book of Revelation, a New Testament apostle, uh, actually like twin apocalyptic books. Both deal with end time events. And uh, some of these will be covered in one session overviews in this term. Uh, If we took any one of these, then we could spend the whole term on any one of the uh, subjects. So what I want to do is just sort of do a one-night, at least, overview of just uh, some of the major things that I think are are happening in the world today. So uh, that'll just sort of be a an idea here. All right, so our first session we're going to do, and I'm going to encourage you to take uh, your own notes tonight. Uh, first session we want to talk about is the time of the end. So title of our session tonight would be the time of the end. So let's uh, turn to the book of Daniel. And uh, I'm going to read uh, a number of scriptures here, and I never make any apology for reading the scripture. You'll find that in Daniel chapter 8, right through to uh, Daniel chapter 12, that one of the key words, if not the key word in uh, in these chapters, is this word time. And uh, we'll find together the word, the expression time of the end is used at least five times. So I want to look at the word time with you and then particularly pick up the time of the end and then uh, ask ourselves some questions. All right, let's go to Daniel 8.17. And I'm reading from Old King James or New King James. So if you have a different translation, you may see some difference there. But uh, Daniel chapter 8 and verse... um, 17 will pick up. How, how's the sound? Is it all right? Yeah, it just sounds loud to me, probably coming from overseas. All right, now, the, uh, just briefly here, this vision that Daniel is seeing concerns what's being referred to as the cleansing of the sanctuary, okay? The cleansing of the sanctuary, uh, which we can't, as I said, we don't take a whole night on some of these things, but we just want to pick up this expression So um, we'll take verse 16 to lead into it. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Ulai, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, understand, O son of man, for, here it is, the first mention of this in Daniel, at the time of the end shall be the vision. So whatever is involved in the vision, the vision of the cleansing of the sanctuary, which I understand has to do with the church, which is now God's sanctuary, it's going to take place at the time of the end. Let's go to the next reference in verse 19. We have a different expression here, but the word end and time are still linked. 
And uh, in verse 19 he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. So time, last end, at the time appointed the end shall be. Time of the end by implication again. All right, verse 23 of the same chapter. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So just the expression latter time, and uh, without explaining it here, I believe it's referring to the final Antichrist. So the latter time, chapter 10 and verse 1. <clears throat> Here Daniel has a, another vision very similar to what John has in the book of Revelation. So in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. His name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. So time appointed. Go to chapter 11, and now we pick up again this expression, time of the end, Daniel 11. And uh, we'll pick up in verse 27. Just the latter part of the verse. Uh, it says, For yet the end shall be at the time appointed. And then in verse 35, And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them, or to refine them, the New King James says, and to purge or purify them, and make them white, and here it is again, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. So we, again, we have this expression, time of the end. Now, Daniel chapter 12, no, uh, verse 40, I'm sorry, of the same chapter. Um, yes, verse 40 of Daniel 11. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north, and so forth. So we have something at the time of the end about the king of the south, and the king of the north. Now let's go to chapter 12, and if you mark your Bible, the word time is used in this chapter uh, more than uh, any other chapter in the Bible except in Ecclesiastes. So uh, pick it up in verse 1, Daniel 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone uh, that shall be found written in the book. Then go down to verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. So, again, time of the end, a book sealed. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then go down to verse 6, where Daniel asks a question. Well, here's the question. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? So time of the end, end, end of these wonders. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that lives forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And it's interesting how we still use these expressions in our English world today, well, he's doing time, or do you get double time, or half time? Uh, we use those expressions, don't realize that they're biblical terms. So uh, time, times, and half a time. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. 
Verse 8, I heard, but I understood not. So there's some things Daniel got he didn't understand. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. None, uh, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So the world does not understand these things. The wicked do wickedly, the wicked shall not understand, the wise shall understand. How many would like to be amongst that bunch? I would. And then verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and so forth, as uh, so many days. Then in verse 13, go thou uh, thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in your lot at the end of the days. All right, so the key word in that whole, uh, whole chapter there is the word time. Now the expression we looked at, time of the end, is used five times altogether. 8.17, time of the end. Uh, 11.35, the time of the end. 11.40, the time of the end. Uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 4, the book is sealed to the time of the end. And then uh, chapter 12, verse 9, time of the end. So five times Daniel uses this expression specifically, the time of the end. Now, I want to ask ourselves some questions here. Uh, what do you think is meant by the time of the end? So we sort of use expressions like this, end time or end time events, a perfectly biblical thing, so time of the end. Uh, can we have any clues to when the time of the end began? And a uh, uh, final question here would be, where are we on God's uh, prophetic calendar? So they're things we want to look at tonight. All right, I want you to look at a couple of other scriptures here before we launch into our study more fully. First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. Referring to the uh, men of the tribe of Issachar. The first Chronicles 12 verse 32. And it says, Of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandments. So, children of Issachar, they had understanding of the times. So, do we have understanding of the times that we're living in, the time of the end particularly? Then, uh, one other scripture here. Uh, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, just all on this expression of time or times, Acts chapter 3. And uh, verse uh, 17, just on a little bit here. Acts uh, 3 and verse 17. Uh, and now, and this is Peter speaking, Peter the Apostle speaking. Now, brethren, I, uh, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his holy prophets, uh, his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And here's this expression, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So times of refreshing, refreshing. Uh, come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration. 
So you'll notice expressions there, times of refreshing, times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So just drawing to your attention these different expressions that are used in the scripture, the time of the end, uh, understanding of the times, times of refreshing, times of restoration, and uh, just uh, having uh, understanding of those things. So we want to start looking at this question, what is the time of the end? Can we have any clues uh, to when it began? Where are we on God's prophetic calendar? All right, now I want to do something here that uh, I have done in Bible college a little bit. And for those who've been to college, this will be a little bit of a refresher. I want you to uh, think of time because we're going to look at uh, time in relation to eternity, just to help us understand these questions here. So what I like to uh, do, illustrate here, is, is draw a circle which uh, represents eternity or timelessness. So eternity, circle without beginning and without end, timelessness. And then I want to uh, look at this here, which we'll put up here as time. So uh, to help us on this uh, simple diagram, let's turn over to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Now, I think as you look at this psalm, you'll find it's a very significant psalm. And uh, we'll put over here two, two key words that are used in this uh, psalm. First of all, we have the word day or days. And then the second key word we have here is years, year or years. And what, what the psalmist brings out is he's going to show us God's day and uh, then man's day. So God's day and then man's day. And then also he's going to show us God's years and man's years. So let's go through and note the significance of this because uh, at the top of your Bible you should have a superinscription on it and uh, this psalm is written by who? Moses, that's a very significant thing. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's it, the five, first five books of the Bible. So you'll notice it says it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So that to me is significant there. The man who wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, right through the Pentateuch there, he's written this psalm. So in verse 1 he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So I'd like to say, okay, Moses is sort of alluding back to creation. Before the mountains were brought forth, and ever you'd form the sea and everything like that, you're God. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. In other words, from eternity to eternity, you are God. God is not bound by a seco watch. He's not bound by time. Okay? God's not bound by time, but he does work in time. That's what we're looking at, because we want to try and help us on this time of the end. Um, all right, so now let's go on. So from everlasting to everlasting. So uh, like a circle, timelessness without beginning, without end. Now let's go down to verse 4, and just the verses where these days, this, uh, the key words days and years. And remember, Moses is writing it. So in verse 4 he says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Okay, a thousand years 
as yesterday. To, uh, just hold that and turn over Second Peter chapter three or verse eight, or you can just put it down. Uh, yeah, I'd like you to look at Second Peter three. Hold, hold Psalm ninety, because uh, in Second Peter chapter three, I think we have a very significant word. Second Peter chapter three. Now, at the beginning of our session tonight, I said uh, we're we're dealing with apocalyptic events. And uh, I said the book of Daniel, an Old Testament prophet, and the book of Revelation, the New Testament apostle, are uh, actually like twin apocalyptic books. What you'll find is um, that God, or the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, often took a New Testament apostle and linked him up with an Old Testament prophet. I haven't got time to develop that too much, but let's see just the confirmation of that in verse 2 of 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 2. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Saviour. So in that verse, Peter says, I want you to be mindful of the words of the holy prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and of us, the New Testament apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we could link it up just say uh, quickly here. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus Christ as head of the church linked up Peter, a New Testament apostle, with the Old Testament prophet Joel. In Acts 15, the head of the church linked up James, a New Testament apostle, with Amos, an Old Testament prophet, on the building again of the tabernacle of David. In the book of Revelation, as we're going to see later on, uh, the head of the church takes John, a New Testament apostle, and links him up with an Old Testament prophet, Daniel. So there's, there's a lot of significance in this here. So uh, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the, I'll put the word in here now, by the Old Testament holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the New Testament apostles of the Lord and Saviour. All right, now go down to verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. Now, Peter, a New Testament apostle, is going right back to Psalm 90 and taking the very words out of the mouth of Moses, who was the first major, uh, or the prophet by whom all other prophets were tested, and he takes it right out of Psalm. He says, he's writing to spirit-filled believers. So, beloved, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm, he's writing to spirit-filled believers. Don't want you to be ignorant of this one thing. What? That one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So God's day, God's years, a thousand years is as a uh, day under the Lord. Uh, a day under the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, a day unto man is 24 hours. But he's not talking about man's days here. He's talking about God's days, God's years. So a day unto the Lord is as a thousand years. All right, now let's go back to Psalm 90, see where Moses goes now. So, verse 4, so it's quoted by the New Testament, Peter writing, Spirit-filled believers, I don't want you to be ignorant of this one thing, brethren, that a day under the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God's years, God's days, a thousand years. Now, go down to verse 9, and he switches from God's days to our days. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Our days, our years. Now, verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's what, 70 years? Everybody agree with that? Ask your question. 
Yes, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off, and we fly away. Now you'll notice in verse 4 he's dealing with God's days, years, thousand year day, day for a thousand years, but then in verse 9, 10 he's dealing with ours. Now I think there's a great significance here. Put down on your notes, seeing I didn't get you any, put down uh, Genesis chapter uh, 2 and verse 17. Now I, I think this is a significant thing. Uh, in fact, too significant for my liking. Um, God said to Adam and Eve, the moment, or Mr. and Mrs. Adam as it was back there, when he put them in the garden, he said, okay, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, the only tree you're not allowed to eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then he says, in the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Now God is talking, and according to Moses in Psalm 90, God has his days, man has his days. So he says, in the day that you eat, you'll surely die. Now, did Adam die in the 24-hour day he sinned? How many would say yes? How many would say no? How many would say yes? Hands up. How many would say no? Hands up. How many still haven't got a hand? How many are still fighting or getting caught? How many still have a lying spirit? Okay, the answer is yes and no. He died spiritually... Now listen carefully here. He died spiritually in the day that he sinned. But how long did Adam live physically? 930 years. Now, remember God is talking, in the day you sin you'll surely die, and a day unto the Lord equals a thousand years. That's one day. So God says to Adam, in the day you sin you'll surely die. Adam lived 930 years, and if you take 930 years off a thousand, it leaves 70 I'm going to talk to Adam about that. Because he took 930 years and just left me a miserable 70. And I turn 70 next year. That's what makes this so devastating. But I'm, I'm taking the rest of that verse. If by reason of strength, it's four score years. Glory to God, I've still got a few years up my sleeve. How many can say amen? How many would pray that way? Thank you, Father. Thank you, all six of you. All right. So we have to see it from God's point because God said in the day you sin you'll die, surely die. Well, he died spiritually in the 24-hour day he sinned, but he didn't die physically in the day he sinned. He lived another 930 years. And listen to this because we're looking at the time of the end. The moment Adam sinned, he bought himself a seeker watch. No, we'll put it nicer. The moment Adam sinned, time began. Because, see, time and sin are synonymous. Because Adam could still be living. If he hadn't have bombed out, or his wife, smile ladies, you're on candid camera, uh, if they hadn't have bombed out, Adam could still be alive. Couldn't he? He could have lived eternally. God wanted him to live eternally. God wants us to have eternal life. But the moment Adam sinned, Time began. Now there was time. I mean, the sun, moon, and stars govern time, but there was no limit on time for man. He could have just lived happily ever after. Made the whole earth as the Garden of Eden had a yes, yeah, sinless offspring, perfect kids. Wow. But the moment he sinned, time began. So. Everything began to tick, 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 tick. And after 930 years, he was ticked off. <laughs> and he left us 70. 
Now, I personally believe, just off the cuff here, that unless God says otherwise, that every one of us should have at least 70 years to live. I, be, I, be, I believe that's, I could, I could give you many men in the Bible who lived 70 years at least. And I believe that's a promise for every one of us, unless God wants to make you a martyr or kill you off sooner or something like that, or he needs you in heaven more than I need you on earth, you know, depends. But something to think about between now and the millennium. Okay, back to Psalm 90 quickly, because time is going. All right, so verse 10, the days of our years, so our days, our years, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labour and so forth, it's soon cut off, and we fly away. Verse 14, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. That's it. So, Oh, verse 12 I missed, uh, which is probably the key verse to the psalm. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Wow. That's an excellent psalm written by Moses, so on days and years. All right, now, let's go here a little bit and we'll, we'll, we'll stretch the diagram out a little bit. So now, time... What is time in relation to eternity? So God is eternal. God's not uh, bound by time, limited by time. He does work in time. So God is eternal from eternity to eternity. You are God. But now man is a creature limited to time. Now, maybe you'd like to take this definition. This is Connor's definition of time. What is time? It's going to help us on where, you know, on this whole business we're looking at tonight and the time of the end. I'll say it uh, one time and then another couple times so you can get it. Time is a portion of eternity in which God is working out his purposes in relation to earth, in, uh, working out his purposes on earth, sorry, in relation to creation and redemption. I'll say that again. So number, uh, let me say it again. So time is a portion of eternity fragment of eternity, a portion of eternity, in which God is working out his purposes in relation to earth and in relation, number one, to creation. I'll explain this a bit more fully. And then number two, in relation to redemption. So let me say that uh, statement again. That's the gist of it. So what is time in, in relation to eternity? Time is a portion of eternity, just a wee little teeny weeny 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 little bit of eternity in which God is working out his purposes in earth in relation to number one, creation, and number two, redemption. That, that's, the, that's the heart of the thing. So I'll say it one more time. So time is a fragment of eternity or portion of eternity might be a better word in which God is working out his purposes in earth in relation to creation and redemption. Now, let's go on a little bit here. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God talks about in the day you sin, you'll die. But in Genesis chapter 1, we have this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. In creation, now, this is what we're looking at, God worked six days in creation, whatever the days were, there's lots of controversy over that, whether it's 24 hours or whether it's a period of time or whatever. We won't worry about that tonight. We'll talk to Adam when we see him, or Eve, his wife, ladies first. Um, 
So uh, God worked six days in creation and the seventh day he rested. Was he tired? He had a perfect bride and bridegroom. That was in relation to creation. So Adam and Eve, or Mr. and Mrs. Adams would say, they actually began their honeymoon on the seventh day, a day of rest. Six days creation, God was preparing the house for them. Then he created the inhabitants of the house. Seventh day they began their honeymoon, rest. And you see, as long as there's no sin, there's rest. But the moment sin entered, rest was broken. God's rest, man's rest. There can be no rest when sin is around. So, what did God do? God had to, be, uh, had to begin to work again. He's already done six days work here. Six days God worked and the seventh day he rested. And God could still be rested. Adam and Eve could still be resting. But sin broke God's rest. It broke man's rest. So now God has to work again. This time not the work of creation, but now in the work of redemption. And so that's why Jesus said, my father works, I work, and who's at work now? The Holy Spirit is at work. Okay? So let me say that one more again. So time is a portion of eternity in which God's working as purposes on earth in relation to creation and redemption. Okay, now let's get rid of this eternal thing and let's take the time thing, uh, particularly in, in, in redemption here. That's what we're interested in. So let's stretch this whole thing out a bit. And uh, you may feel this is a long way to go around, but if we really want to understand time of the end, and where I believe we are in God's prophetic calendar, it's, uh, it's good to have that, that foundation. Everybody said amen. All right, now let's uh, stretch that bit of thing we called up there, time. So now we say God's worked six days in creation, now he's working in redemption, so let's do it. So let's try and get a bit of scale. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Not bad. Okay, so let's put up here redemption, what we, re what we refer to as the week of redemption. So we refer to God working two weeks. In fact, the Hebrew word for week is simply seven. When God worked a week or 70 weeks prophecy, 77 is the Hebrew word for week is seven. So God worked six days in creation and then seven day rest. And now God is working again in what we call the week of redemption, the redemptive week. And so we have one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. All right, now let's go to um, the book of Hebrews a moment here. And uh, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Now we'll break up time a little bit here from this verse and uh, then we'll go back to 2 Peter and a couple of other verses here. So Hebrews 1, 
It says in verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past under the fathers by the prophets. So, as far as we can gather from Adam, let's, let's do this, from Adam through to Jesus, we have approximately four days. Now, we're not setting any times just for anybody here. We're not setting any times. I think God has purposely messed time up a little bit for us so people don't go setting dates. But from Adam to Jesus, we have approximately four days or 4,000 years. The day of the Lord is 1,000 years. 1,000 years is one day. So time before the cross, the prophets refer to, God has uh, in, uh, in time past, anyway, so... We're safe on, on here. Time past, spoken unto the fathers by the prophets. But then he goes on, in the same verse, or next verse, God who at sundry times in divers man spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So we would all agree that here we are in the last days. The days since the cross are the last days. How many believe we are living in the last of the last days? I mean, here we are, 1996, last of the last days. Let me throw something in here for those who may be new to uh, our protein teaching here. Adam to Jesus, four days. There, there are a number of illustrations of the four days, but let me just give you one example. And I've said this before on previous classes, but for those who are new, new in the class, and this may be just a new uh, aspect on things, in the Old Testament, the principle of interpreting the word is this. In the Old Testament, God often got men to do typically what he himself was going to do actually. That, I've said this a number of times. I make no apology for saying it again. It's a principle of understanding Scripture that in the Old Testament, God often got men to do in the Old Testament typically what he himself was going to do actually. Let me just uh, encourage you to put down Exodus chapter 12 as an example of this. Exodus chapter 12, we have the tremendous chapter on the Passover lamb. So God said to Israel, I want you to take a lamb, must be a male, because by one man sin entered the world. If you'd written the Bible, you would have said by one woman. But the Bible says by one man. The buck stopped with Adam. So cheer up, you ladies, don't feel so bad. Look at my wife smiling like a Cheshire cat out there on this. Um... So by one man sin entered the world. So God said, I want you to take a lamb, must be a male without spot and without blemish, and I want you to keep that lamb from the 10th day to the 14th day. In other words, they were to set this lamb aside for four days. Now for them it was four literal 24 hours a day, uh, 24 hour days. And I wonder if any Israelite ever thought to himself, I wonder why God's getting me to do this for. Is he just playing, having a game with me? Why do I have to take the lamb on the 10th day and keep it to the 14th and then kill it on the evening of the 14th? This lamb is foreordained to die. It's, uh, it, it, it's kept for four days. Because God is saying in principle, I want you to do typically with your lamb what I'm going to do actually with my lamb. In fact, uh, uh, you, you can hold Hebrews one hand, turn to Peter on the other hand and then wave glory with the other hand. Uh, turn to 1 Peter and look how Peter puts it. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse 18 we'll pick up. And, and superimpose the language of, of Peter's word here on this famous diagram. 
Okay, First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with, uh, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your aimless conduct, your King James says, or vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. One interpretive verse of all of Exodus 12 on the Passover lamb. And listen to, who verily was foreordained, ordained before, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, and the Greek word manifest is phanero, brought out where he could be seen, but was manifest in these last times for you. So think of what Israel, what they did. They took their lamb on the 10th day, kept it for one, two, three, four days, and then in the evening of the 14th day, of the four days, the lamb was slain. And if we could go off on a little side thing here, John's gospel opens up with, so we have four days from Adam to Jesus when the lamb of God was hidden, but four days before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times, these last days, later times for you. And just imagine how John's gospel opens significantly because you know I'm a fanatic by now. It says, the next day John sees Jesus coming and said, behold the Lamb of God. Then the next one says, and again the next day he said, behold the Lamb of God. And then it says, the third day there was a marriage. Nothing there? Maybe there is. Because the church's ministry in these two days, last two days, is say, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world because there's coming a marriage, the marriage of Christ and his church. So these, these things are not in the scripture for the sheer fun of it. God has something in mind. So as I said before, so God got Israel to do typically with his lamb, with their lamb, what he was going to do with his lamb. So when Adam sinned, God set aside his lamb. Behold the lamb of God, foreordained before the foundation of the world, hidden right through 4,000 years, but now manifest in these last times for you. I think that's worth a hallelujah, don't you? The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, foreordained. Okay, back to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews. How many think the Bible could be inspired? Okay, so Hebrews 1 again and verse 1, 2. So God, who at sundry time had died as man, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So we can safely say that uh, we are living in the last days, and the last days began when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came. So here in former times or time past, God spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, but in the last days he's spoken unto us in the person of his son. Let me say this thought while it's in my mind here. All through the Old Testament, it says the word of the Lord came to the prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Amos and so forth. But you see, when Jesus came, the word of the Lord didn't come to him. He was the word. That's the difference. He is the word made flesh. The word never came to him. He was the word. He was the living Bible. Not the paraphrase, the living Bible. Perfect translation. Absolutely. All right, so time past, we had back there, and now time present. Now, just a couple of other things here. Uh, time present. And then, of course, seventh day, although, as I've mentioned before, I have a lot of friends who are already in the millennium, but uh, time future. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, while we're still in Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, this is a very interesting verse. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, he talks about Israel not entering into his rest. But go to, uh, let's see, verse 2 of chapter 4. So Hebrews 4 and verse 2. Uh, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Now we know he's referring to the week of creation there. And in this place again, in Psalm 90, if they shall enter into my rest. Now, listen carefully to this. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limited a certain day, saying in uh, David, Today after so long a time, as it said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Joshua, Jesus Joshua, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore, and here's the difference here, a rest, the Greek word there for rest is a sabbatismos. There remaineth therefore a rest, a sabbath, to the people of God. Seventh day Sabbath. And as I said, there can be no rest while sin is around. Just, just put down this, we haven't got time. to. T- Revelation chapter 20 uh, no, we better turn to it. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. And uh, just put down, we won't return, uh, read it all, but uh, Revelation 20 verses 1 through to 6 will be sufficient. But we'll just read a little bit. The angel comes down from heaven, having the key of the BP, at the bottom of the pit, I mean, and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that he's loosed a little season. How many think that when the devil is bound in the seventh day, a thousand years, now here's this thousand years thing again, six times it's mentioned in chapter 20, how many think when the devil and all his demonic hosts are bound in the bottom's pit for a thousand years, how many think that will be a time of rest? No devil around. Nobody to tempt you. And when you bind, you see, if you could bind the Lord Jesus Christ for a thousand years, he is the source of all righteousness, holiness, health, life, blessing, He's the source of all that. So if you could bind him, how many know all those things would be bound with him? That's your question. Put it on the negative. The devil is the source of sin, sickness, disease, death, demons, the lot. This is going to be a blessed time. And this is why you won't understand what I'm saying. This is why I call myself a Christian millennialist. Not a Jewish millennium, a Schofield millennium, or not an R millennium, that we're in the millennium now, a Christian millennium. And when you people give me some time, I'll write a book on it. (laughs) I just don't have time. Yeah, but how many think that's going to be rest? 
There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Okay, now I want you to go back to um, Daniel chapter 12. And let's see what questions we've asked here so far for we've answered. Okay, what is the time of the end? Can we have any clues of the time when it began? Where are we? That's what we want to answer now. Now, I believe in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, we have two major clues to uh, the answer uh, to those questions. So Daniel 12 and verse 4. All right, so let's make sure we've got, we're right here. So 4,000 years, four days of the Lord. We're in day five and day six. And here we are, according to our calendar, way down in 1996. Four years to the year 2000. Wow, that's uh, almost frightening, isn't it? All right, now as we look over history... years to the year 2000. Wow, that's uh, almost frightening, isn't it? All right, now as we look over history, can we find any clues that would sort of give us an idea when the time of the end began? What did Daniel mean by that? What's it all mean? Okay, in Daniel 12 verse 4, I believe we have two of the most remarkable signs, as you'll see in a few moments here. So, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Then he gives us two simple clues. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I'd like you to put on your notes there those two signs. Number one, many shall run to and fro. And I want you to put next to that, because I'm going to read some, uh, hope not boring statistics, but... Uh, just amazing that sort of convinced me on a few things. So, number one, uh, many shall run to and fro, transportation revolution. And then number two, knowledge shall be increased, knowledge explosion. So questions I've got here, so I'll say that again. Many shall run to and fro, transportation revolution. And number two, knowledge shall be increased, knowledge explosion. So the question I have on my sheet here, can we see some period of human history when the time of the end began, when and where? The answer is yes. Now, listen, listen to this. From the beginning of human history, right through here, right till about the year 1500 or 15th century, do you realize the whole world was a slow, sleepy world, and virtually next to nothing changed. But you, you just listen to some of these things. From the 15th century on, just in the last 400 years, we're coming to the 20th century, I want you to listen to what's happened in the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, and here we are coming up to the 20th. Wow. Listen to it. The whole world was just a sleepy world till then. From the beginning of human history, transportation and human knowledge were basically at a standstill. Uh, maybe you'd like to put this scripture down, I'll quote it without turning to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 46, a biblical principle, Paul says, first the natural, then afterwards that which is spiritual. So that's a biblical principle, first the natural, 
uh, then afterwards that which is spiritual. In the natural realm in human history, for 5,500 years, maybe you'd like to put that down, uh, 5,000, roughly, and you know, don't pin me on an exact year, but roughly for 5,500 years, the world was a slow, sleepy world. All of a sudden, everything changed and began to change and has been ever since affecting the whole world. I want you to think of the period of the Renaissance, Renaissance, I'm not sure how we say it here, Renaissance, the great, and uh, Webster gives this definition, the great revival of art, literature and learning in Europe in the 14th, 15th and 16th centuries, which began in Italy and spread gradually to other countries. It marked the transition from the uh, medieval world, medieval world to the modern world. And then the Enlightenment, the 18th century European philosophical movement characterized by rationalism and impotence towards learning and a spirit of skepticism in social and political thought. So think of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment in the 14th, 15th, 16th, 18th century. Transport means had been the same for thousands of years from Adam to Christ right through to the Middle Ages is what been called the Dark Ages. And it's at that time the period of inventions began. Now, so I don't know where I got the li this list from. I got pages of it, but let me just give you some things. And before that, everything, as I said, was just a slow, sleepy world. But in this period, I mean, it was just transport, knowledge, explosion beyond our little mind. And some of the things I've even got on this list, and I don't know where I got it from, uh, uh, I don't even understand myself. In the 16th century, the spinet, the violin, the violin, 1554, I'll just rattle off some of these, not all of them. The printing press, 15th century, the microscope, 1590, thermometer, 1592, circulation of blood, microscope, 1616, uh, telescope, 1608, astronomical telescope, 1609, calculating machine, 1642, barometer, 1643, first bust, it was a horse-drawn one, 1662. Uh, spirit level, 1680. Balance spring, 1625. Mole, mole board plough, 18th century. Pianoforte, 1709. Um, trying to skip some of these. Uh, steamship, 1736. Eight-day clock, 1715. I mean, all these things are just with what we are now. Flying shuttle, 1733. Chron uh, chronometer, 1735. Uh, steam engine, 1764. Uh, hydrogen, chlorine, nitrogen, 1774, 76, 77. Uh, cylinder steam engine, 1781. Shrapnel, 1784. Sewing machine, 1790. Uranium. 1789, uh, the Reaper, 1799, uh, Lifeboat, 1789, the 19th century, that's uh, going quickly through those centuries, some from the 19th century, electroplating, uh, uh, germ identification, malaria parasite, x-ray, 19th century, flute, clarinet, modern organ, 19th century, saxophone, rifle, torpedo, electric, something I couldn't understand the word, laughing gas, that's what some people are suffering from today. I told them in Holland that uh, even God made a bird that laughs. If you don't like laughing in church, go and get a laughing jackass, a kookaburra. 
Um, smallpox vaccine, 1800. Upright piano, 1800. Paper making machine, 1801. Bone china, 1805. Soda water, 1807. A steamboat, 18, 1807. Modern harp, 1810. Steam printing press, 1811. Puffing billy. <laughs> Tins for food, 1811. Hobby horse. Uh, 1870, Revolver, 1818, Hydrogen Peroxide, 1818, Laughing Gas, first used, 1818, uh, Sailing Ships, first crossing of the Atlantic, 1819, Composing Machine, 1822, Photography, 1822, oh, well, I'm trying to skip some of these, Large Caliber Gun, 1823, Cement, 1824, Railway Cars and First Public Railway, 1825, uh, Benzene, Ether, Bromide, Thorium, Glycerine, Lucifer Match, devilish quite that, 1829, Constantina, 1829. How many have ever seen a Constantina? Uh, some of us from the dark ages here. A mouth organ. I tried a mouth organ once, I didn't know whether to suck or blow. Um, treadle machine, 1830. Electric generator, 1831. Phos phosphorus match, 1833. Reaper binder. Anybody been on a farm with a reaper binder? 1834. Screw propeller. Morse code, 1837. Electric telegraph, 1837. Postage stamps. Whoever invented those things ought to be shot. Uh, printing telegraph, gas meter, all in the 1840s in here. Uh, let's go down here. Uh, safety match, 1855. Transocean cable, 1866. A bicycle. The penny farthing. Anybody ever been on a penny farthing? 1866. A typewriter. 1867, margarine, I mean that's been around long, 1868. Uh, pneumatic piano player, 1863, first TV idea was 1873, phonograph, 1876, telephone. 1876, cash register, whoever invented that should be dealt with too. Uh, 1879, refrigerator, 1880, electric and light waves discovered, 1880, machine gun, he used to be dealt with too. 1883, first petrol engine, 1884. Wow, gramophone. Some people have been vac vaccinated with a gramophone needle. 1887, the cinema, 1887. Steam vehicle, 1888. Adding machine, 1888. Color photos, 1891. Uh, diesel engine, 1895. Color films, 1898. First movie camera and projector. 1899, first petrol bus, 1899, the 20th century. Where do you go here? This is a brilliant one. Safety razor and electric shaver. <laughs> shaver for a man who's in a hurry, they're great, I love them. 1900s, first Rolls Royce, 1903. Aeroplane with the Wright Brothers, 1903. Wireless and telegraph on ships, 1903. Radio valve, soundtrack, TV transmission. What else do we want? Stainless steel, 1960, first Atlantic crossing by air. Broadcasting, 1920, first Technicolor film, 1925, first talkies with the sound film. Penicillin, 1929, radio astronomy, pressure, mercury lamp, polythene, first TV service, turbojet propulsion, atomic bomb, 1945, radio telescope, 1946, transistor, uh, where else do you go? And uh, they, back here in 1926 they had the first talkies on the sound film. I mean, where do you go on all that? And there's many, many more. So we've actually moved, you know, through the whole industrial revo uh, revolution to uh, atomic-powered submarines and every space-age travel, man on the moon, planetary photography. I mean, we just can't comprehend that, you know, in our time, everything's moved so fast. And some of the stuff, other stuff I've got here. 
sewing machines, refrigeration, plastics, telephone, electric light, automobile, airplanes. I mean, listen to this. First airplane, uh, the guy who had a full-scale glider was killed in a crash, German man. Right, brothers? They studied how birds would fly and how they do their wings and they got their glider experience. In 1902, glider built and controlled and uh, built a 12-horsepower engine for it with a propeller. And in 1903, it was the first flight and it lasted for 12 seconds. The second one was 59 seconds and they got to 825 feet. And then in 1908, they flew for two hours and 20 minutes. Now you think. And in 1914, planes got to the fast speed of 126 miles per hour. Now you think, I just get up 35, 36,000 and doing, whew, it's enough to make me sweat to think all that's between me and the great falling away is a little bit of aluminum or something. How many think we're moving fast? Television, nuclear fission, computer age. How can we grasp this? 1948 to the 60s, transistors made smaller possible, silicon chip easier, no smaller than a fingernail, yet this silicon chip can store millions of bits of information. Computer age, replace typewriters, adding machines, Franca, and with the latest thing, internet, which can be heaven or hell. Then the laser beam. Wow. And it's interesting to go through some of this, that uh, the splitting of the atom and the possibility of the atomic bomb was uh, 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 two German men had it, two German scientists. Hitler was not interested. He thought it was too much to uh, pick up. And they went to America, and America finished the thing off and brought the Second World War to an end with a tragic loss of life. So I just said all that, which may be boring, just to show all the world was just a sleepy, quiet world for 5,500 years, but somewhere in the 15th, 16th century, right onwards, we've just had transport, talk about running to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. It's just been a knowledge explosion. How many see that? So what I'm saying is, I believe that the time of the end began in this period of time. And here we are, 1996, four, five hundred years later, time of the end. In other words, we would say, using God's language, we would say for five and a half days, the world has been basically asleep, a sleepy, tired world, five and a half days. And here we are, in the last four or five hundred years, this explosion, and, it's, and, and we don't know where it's going to go yet. I mean, man hasn't reached it, because even the scientists say all of us only use about 10% of our brain, and that's questionable about some of you, uh, some of us. <laughs> so some of us, that's right. Just wanted to get feedback there. Uh, so, but you think man's, man's mind was, you know, unbeclouded by sin. It was sin that messed our brain up. But once you come to Jesus, will you think sharper and clearer? Wiser, don't you? Now, let me finish on the positive side. In the scripture I gave you, I hope, I hope that wasn't boring to you. Okay, but none of that. There was none of that. I mean, transport for 5,500 years, five and a half days, was on donkey or foot or camel that spit at you, dirty old camels in the Middle East. Saw them spitting at me. In the name of Jesus, I rebuked their spit, sent it back to them. I could have given them some more, but being a Christian, I couldn't. Uh, 
It says love your enemies, doesn't it? Uh, you know, so, you know, transport, running to and fro. I mean, Elijah outdid anybody when he beat the chariots of Ahab. That was the fastest transport you could think of. You know, when he was raptured and taken from place to place, the angels didn't carry his suitcase even. You know, and then knowledge. I mean, what knowledge was there? And here we just have a, a knowledge explosion. Now, just as that happened in the natural, I believe it's happened in the church. I remember what I said, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll finish on this. First the natural, then the spiritual. Uh, I'm, there's no way you can take this down, but I just want to finish on this. What has happened in the church is the, uh, is the same. First the natural, everything, it's first the raven, then the dove. First Ishmael, then Isaac. First Esau, then Jacob. It's always that way. First the natural, then the spiritual. First the Antichrist, then Christ, whether you believe it or not, always. Now what has happened in the natural world, it's happened in the spiritual world. In the early church, they were given the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word, and then within about 500 years or less, the church declined and went into the Dark Ages, and about the period of the Reformation, about the period of the Enlightenment, or the Renaissance in the world, there was also the beginning of a knowledge explosion of the Word of God. And you and I are living in the most exciting time about that. Now some of you have had this before many, many years ago, and as I said, it's no use you trying to take it down. But I want to end up that uh, this is where God is working to. So when we look at uh, the truth in the early church, the Gospels, the Axios, the Apostolic Age, the Persecution Age, Pagan Age, Papal Age, Decline, Apostasy, Idolatry, how the church declined over the years, went into the Dark Ages spiritually, and Martin Luther referred to it as the church's Babylon captivity where truth was suppressed. God has said, everything that's lost, I'm going to restore. So in 1500, we have the major truth, justification by faith, with repentance from dead works, and 1600, approximate dates these are. Don't pin me on exact years. Water baptism, the 17th century sanctification, 1800, priesthood of all believers, truth of divine healing, 1900, baptism of the Holy Spirit, name of the Godhead, bodily for water baptism, 1950s, body of Christ, laying of hands, union, perfection of the church, and a whole list of other truths. I've got about 30 or 40 of them that have been restored to the church. So there's a knowledge explosion in this book because for centuries the church didn't have a Bible. We forget that the church only had the Bible for about 300 years and then for nearly a thousand years this book was a forbidden, uh, a forbidden book. And it was thank God to Martin Luther that he gave the Bible back into the hands of the people. And every revival has been a recovery of truth. And you don't, I, you know, don't take this unkindly. I don't think you saints in Waverley realise how blessed you are. Because when I travel, my trip just recently, they said, where have we been? What are we even being taught in this nation? We know nothing. And I was just giving them stuff that we take for granted week after week. And there's still a lot here because... God is going to, as he worked in creation to get a perfect bride and bridegroom, he's working in redemption to get a perfect bride. He's already got the perfect bridegroom and he's going to end up here with a perfect church. How many think he's still got a lot of work to do on us? So, I hope I've convinced you that you and I are living in the time of the end. The most exciting 
and yet frightening generation. And I just pray the Lord will give me a little bit more out of Psalm 90. Thank you, Father. Everybody said amen. All right, that's enough for tonight. Let's all stand. Now remember on some of the things that we're doing, we're just doing a one-night session because each of these things could take a whole semester, but just to have an overview. So how many feel you've received something tonight and uh, that you realise we are living in the time of the end and what a challenge to us to just to be sold out 100% for the Lord, not playing church or goof it around, just to be sold out to the Lord. All right, let's uh, bow in a word of prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you once again for your precious word, word that you've exalted above all your name. And Father, we just thank you that we are living in such an a, uh, exciting and yet frightening generation that the worst is yet to come in the world and yet the best is to come in the church. Pray, Father, that uh, you'll help us uh, to have, uh, just to be like the men of Issachar, to have understanding of the times, that we're living in times of refreshing, times of restoration, and uh, the, the time of the end. Help us, Father. Pray that this uh, word that we share tonight will fall upon good ground of our heart and bring forth fruit in our lives for your glory, the building of your church and the extension of your kingdom. And we ask this in the name which is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Real good. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.